Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Courtside with Beal and some Tennis, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Always a privilege to have my co-host and Hall of Famer, Steve Flink, all of me. A special privilege tonight because Steve is actually on the ground at Wimbledon. Steve's been there for a few days now. Steve, welcome in. How are you? I can't wait to talk to you tonight. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a, a very... Uh... A compelling last three days for me. I flew over on Saturday and got in Saturday nights. So I've seen the last three days on site. And uh, and now, now we're really getting down to it, obviously, with a men's semifinal already set up and a women's semi set up. And we're coming to the home stretch. And it's been a great last couple of days. Well, I know. I'm sure it was such a treat for you. It was a treat for, for all tennis fans. I can't imagine how great it must have been for you. You being such a great historian of the game the 100 year celebration of center court. I mean, how cool was that for you to be there? Yeah, I, it was, it was nice. That was the day I arrived first day on site. You know, they, I'd seen the one back in, I'd seen the couple of other celebrations, you know, the tournament started actually in 1877. So in 1977, they had a big hundred years for the tournament. And then they did another big celebration to celebrate the century in 2000. And now this, this one was beautifully staged and, and it was really nice to have McEnroe alongside Sue Barker getting very animated as he in, introduced most of the players himself. He was the one to shout their names out and he did a nice job. And then they still introduced him as well. And it was nice. The only, you know, it was terrific that Federer came, that, that Novak and Rafa were able to be part of it. Chrissy, Margaret Court, so many luminaries took part. They weren't able to get Sampras, Agassi, Connors, three great American champions missing, obviously. But you, you, you're not going to get everybody to go over there. It was an easier trip, for, obviously, for Roger, but it was a sterling cast nonetheless. I mean, uh, two things that stood out to my mind. I mean, how great is it to see Chrissy out there with her dealing with what she's dealing with? Um, Health-wise, she looks great, um, by the way. She looks great. And then Roger, I mean, he got the biggest ovation of them all. And, and I think the one quote that everyone is, is still holding on to is, you know, I hope to be back here one more time playing, that is. So um, he looked great. Yeah, he's been saying that privately. We've known that. He just, what he did was reaffirm it. But, of course, I, I like the fact that he used the word hope because he knows there's no guarantees. You know, he's turning 41 this summer, so he'd be nearly 42 when, if he were to play it next year, and he's got to make a proper recovery. So I think he'll have a much better gauge on that, David, when he plays Labor Cup and Basel, as he plans to do at least in the fall. Then he'll, he'll have a much better idea of where he's headed and whether Wimbledon next year is a realistic possibility or not. Yes, understood. Let, let's hope it is. And, um you know, I, I guess we this happened early in the tournament, but we haven't recorded for a little while. So I wanted to mention the um, the Novak Djokovic eighty wins on all four in all four slams, which is remarkable. And when I, when when that stat came out, the first thing that came to my mind because I remember growing up, um, Martina and Chrissy were in the semis or final of of every slam I could remember. And this is just top of mind. I really wasn't doing a lot of research into it. But I'm like. Chrissy and Martina must have been close to that, but I knew in my mind that Australia was going to be a stretch. They didn't have Australia and French. They were, they, they came up short as well. Yeah. There were team tennis years. There were some draw, years with maybe slightly smaller draws. There were, there were reasons for it, but it's just more evidence 
of his great all-surface versatility, Novak, and how well and how consistent he's played at all four majors and how he's kept priming himself that, particularly over the last decade. He did start to make a lot of inroads in that pe period, say 2008, 9, and 10, but it's been since 2011 that he's made the big leap. And it's a great credit to him that he's in that range and that he's <laughs> the number is growing. He's not right. done. Right. He's not done at 80. He's already above 80 in Wimbledon right now. Um, eight American men into the third round. Not since, That was the first time in a major since 1996. I would have loved to see Francis Tiafo squeak past uh, David Goffin in that in that match. Tommy Paul, also tough opponent in Cameron Norrie. Cameron Norrie is now in the semis. Norrie's playing so well. Um, it, it's It's been a good showing. I mean, Jack Sock played well, too. He lost in a tough five-setter. Um, pretty good showing for the Americans. It was. It was. Obviously, there's proof there. I mean, it's also concerning. Tommy Paul's been terrific. I would have thought he might do a bit better. Uh, but Nori really took him apart. And then as far as Francis is concerned, Tiafo, that match went right down to the wire. But, you know, those are the ones you've got to win. Uh, yep. Gofan, Virgin Gofan very nearly beat Nori to make the semifinal. So he's no slouch and he's playing almost as well as he did in his very best years a few years back. So, uh, but I'm sure they're both a little disappointed. I think they both thought they could go deeper in this draw. I, I certainly know Tommy Paul did. And, and Tiafo is a, a man with, young man with, with really high ambitions. So I'm sure his to lose that close a match stung him considerably. Yeah, I would agree. I want to focus on two uh, American women, one a veteran and one still on, uh, on the climb up uh, Serena Williams. I, I don't think from what we talked about, we were shocked that she lost early. Um, I think it was unfortunate because she had chances to win that match. She served for it. Um, to get through that. But again, when you haven't played a competitive match in, in a year, her last match was at Wimbledon, obviously cut short with, with injury. Um, there was some drama to it, but, but again, not shocked that she couldn't get through and her opponent played. I mean, it was a tricky opponent, a little bit of Anj Jaborish type of style, right. That, that yeah. Tan plays with, and she won a few matches after. So um, no, no embarrassment to, to lose to that opponent by any means. No, no, but it, it, it still gets back to everything we were talking about leading up to the tournament. How do you come in? I still don't get it. I don't want to be too critical, but she played Eastbourne, but only in doubles. And I just think to, she's, she was asking so much of herself. It would have been a very a, a nice win that could have perhaps gotten her through a few more rounds if she pulled it off. And as you mentioned, she served for the match. The, the primetime Serena doesn't let that get away. She led four love in the concluding super tie break, the 10 point tie break, and it, it got away 10, seven. So, you know, those are, those are openings and opportunities that won't elude her when she's playing more, more discouraging to me was, I don't want to say discouraging, concerning is that she then talked about with sort of ambivalence about what's coming up. I was hoping that she was going to say, you know what? I, this really excited to me to be back here. And I lost a really close match, but I'm going to go out this summer and I'm going to play a bunch of tournaments and you're going to see me at the U.S. Open. And I expect a much higher level. She didn't really commit to that. So I do think Serena is wrestling with her future and wondering what what more she wants out of this game. But no doubt it was great excitement to have her back in there playing a match like that. And, and it certainly was not a disastrous performance. It just was a disappointing loss. 
Well, it would be great for American, uh, the American fans to see her one more time in, in New York. And let's hope, uh, let's hope she does play the U S open come late August, early September and see if she can make some, some inroads in, into the draw at that time. Um, younger American Coco Goff, And we've talked about this a little bit. She played uh, Amanda Anisimova. The match itself, I thought from both players was very topsy turvy. Thought it was sloppy at, at, at times by both players. Um, what's, what's concerning to, to me with Coco and, and it's, it's, you know, it's not like some crazy insight that I have people see it, um, is that, is that forehand, right? And I think the best players in the world are going to pick on that forehand, especially during critical points during a match. And Martina made a really good, um, point it, the forehand itself, it makes it put more pressure on every one of her other shots, whether it's a backhand or a server or a volley, because, she needs to feel like she feels like she maybe needs to do a little bit more with each one of those shots. So she's in a position where she's not in the defensive or, or uh, can get inconsistent with that forehand. I thought that was a good point by Martina. Um, she knows it. The tennis world knows it. She's working on it. And let, let's just hope it, it, it gets better because it's holding her back in these important matches at this, at this stage of her career. I'm not going to argue with that. I mean, I think that she's got to, I would hope that her father would want to bring in, the best possible clinician to go to work on this and maybe just acknowledge that that's an area he hasn't, that they haven't solved it. And Coco's well aware of it. She knows how vulnerable her forehand is. It's gotta be a really uncomfortable feeling knowing you're going out to play someone as good as Anna Samova and that they're going to pick on your forehand relentlessly like that. And you're right. In turn, it was a strange match. Coco had three love early, almost got to four love. They go to a tie break. Coco's way down in the tie break. She wins that, which was encouraging. But then from there, she really was blitz. And uh, I, I, I believe that she's very realistic. The question is, can her dad turn over the reins to somebody? Don't, not step out of the picture. We get back to almost the Stefano Tsitsipas situation. I don't think the fathers have to disappear by any means. But it's, it's, it would be smart, I think, for him to look elsewhere for the technical help. Because he... he he surely knows the entire tennis world is talking about it. And it, every time you start to think it, she's shorted up, you find out she really hasn't. It was a little better in Paris, but that was partially the draw, the favorable draw she got in Paris. So I hope, I hope they will, because if that can be fully addressed, it's going to make a world of difference to her, her game and her results in her entire outlook. Yeah. And her results are still good. It's just, that's the one area that's holding it back. Like you said, if that gets fixed up, She'll shoot through some of those tough matches that are holding her back right now. Um, another another female player, not American, but if she's listening to this, Maria Sakari. Come on. I, <laughs> I predicted in the year-end segment that she'd win a slam this year. The last two slams uh, have been very disappointing. The person that she lost to, though, is still alive, right? The person Maria lost to is Tatiana Maria, who's in the, semi, who's in the semifinals right now. But again, I mean, Maria Sakari should have better results than what she's had at the French and Wimbledon. We still got New York, Maria. I still believe in you. Make me look good, please. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's a great consolation for her to say, well, my opponent's in the semis. You feel a little better, but then you're, you're, you're irked with yourself because you say that should have been me. I should have won that match and be in the semifinals and be contending for this title. So I, I still think she can do very well in New York. She obviously did last year and, and she can do that again and, and hopefully play her way through the early rounds and, and really be in there for the, 
for the home stretch uh, because that, she, uh, the, that's a performance she can't be very happy about. She knows she's better than that. Yes. Yes. Um, it, it's funny. One of the first round matches we talked about on the ladies' side last week's segment was Jill Teichman versus Alia Tomjanovic. And we said that's going to be a tough, tough match. Tomjanovic got through that match. She's still alive and she's playing for us uh, for a spot in the semis tomorrow. Um, we knew the winner of that match could do some damage in the draw. Yeah, absolutely. And we also knew that if something happened to Iga Swiatek, the whole picture change, would change radically in the women's draw because everybody feared her and she had her big winning streak and she's coming off a convincing triumph at the French Open and people thought maybe she can make the transition to grass. Why not? I thought she could. So the fact that she got clobbered and, and that opened up the draw now, I could see anybody left you know i hope it's on jabor she's the one that seems to me it would be most most worthy and she's a great grass court player so uh but it's it, it's it's no sure thing i'm just glad she's still around for the latter stages yep i agree no uh yeah i think ons is the favorite right um and yeah. i i would not I, th- I don't think either of us or anyone in the tennis world would be surprised if she's the last woman standing holding the trophy on, uh, on Saturday. So no, not at, that would be fitting. It would be very fitting. And she's not well, highly regarded, well liked. And everybody knows she's worthy of, of taking these the premier prizes in the game. And uh, I think it would be a very popular win, somewhat like Ash Barty, some similarity there. Yeah, no, I agree. Let's flip it over to the men's side. Uh, the, the Nick, we'll start with the Nick Kyrgios show. Um, we, Potentially saw that Kyrgios-Sitsipas third-round match. It happened. There's so many things. I mean, we could have our own segment just on that match. But um, he got through it. He then was very calm in his match against Brandon Nakashima. Um, Nakashima battled for five sets. Nick's still alive. He plays he plays Christian Guerin tomorrow. Nick is the favorite. He was rubbing his shoulder when he played Nakashima. But um, if Nick can get through that, potential Rafa Nadal if Rafa gets through Fritz, uh, potential Kyrgios, potential Kyrgios Nadal semifinal. Um, I'll just kind of throw it to you on Nick and what, what you see in Fritz versus Rafa. It was very calm. You're absolutely right. There was a lot of composure against Nakashima, which is encouraging. What was discouraging was that I think that shoulder is a serious thing. You say he was rubbing it. He also got the trainer. And I kept looking at the serve clock and uh, for large portions of the match, he'd be at 113, 114, 116. Then finally in, in a few crucial stages back in the 130s where you expect him to be on first serve. And he did talk about it afterwards. He said he kind of knew it was coming. He's played a lot of tennis recently. And, you know, what he considered a lot of tennis is, is a normal diet for anybody else. <laughs> and so I'm amused by that remark, but for him, it is a lot of tennis and, my concern is I hope that he get we'll we'll get some clear signs with the serve speeds against Garrett. If he's able to get through that three or comfortable four, that that'll take him into the match with Rafa with confidence. They split two matches at Wimbledon. It's a terrific matchup on the grass. And interestingly enough, the two times they played, Nick won two tiebreakers when he beat Rafa and served 37 aces way back eight years ago. And then Rafa avenged it a few years back in four sets and he won a couple of tie breaks. The tie breaks were the key to it all. And I would think that will happen again if they meet. 
that inevitably there will be a couple of critical tiebreaks that will eventually decide the outcome of the match. But I just hope Nick is not worn out, that by the time he gets to Rafa, the shoulder gets worse. If that happens and you see he's ailing, it, it, it can't happen. We, I want to see him in full flight and then the tr- public's in for a treat. But in any case, I have to say, I would still go with Rafa because I believe in him more in the tight corners of these contests. I, I just think he's emotionally he's going to hold up better and, and his game is going to hold up better. And I just like him to be the guy who prevails on the big points. But I, I, I do want to see it. It'd be kind of a letdown if the semi was Garen versus Nadal. Now, Rafa still has to beat Taylor Fritz. That's what I was going to say. The Taylor Fritz fans are wondering, you know, what, what about Taylor? He's not lost a set yet. Um, right. How do you see that match against Rafa? Yeah, well, I mean, Rafa dismissed Indian Wells, not rudely, by the way, not not where he was trying to downgrade Taylor because he, he complimented him on his record this year and how well he's done. Just felt from his own standpoint, playing with a rib problem, you know, he, he just was in too much pain. And it was clear that he was. So it's not that match that I take stock of. It's more what you just said. Blitzing through this field, he just won a tournament before Wimbledon too, and he's blitzed through this field. And it's normally you don't see Taylor winning these matches in such one-sided fashion, not dropping a set. I think that's a great sign. So I feel like it's more his grass court game and his current form that can make this relatively close. I'd actually be surprised if he didn't at least get a set. I think that's probably the most the probable outcome is, is Rafa in four. I'd be very surprised if Taylor was not up to that, the way he's playing. And plus Rafa got a little shaky at the end of his last match against the Dutchman and had trouble closing it out. And then he was asked about a, some kind of a, an abdominal thing because yeah. he took his shirt. You may have seen that. And he didn't want to comment. He was like, I'm not going to talk anymore about my body, but that has to be, that's the last thing he needs on top of the, of worrying in the back of his mind about what, what, if the foot might act up. But leave that aside. Even if he's feeling good, I, I think Taylor's going to make it competitive, and I'm looking forward to it. But I definitely like Rafa, and I definitely like him to win the, the semi as well. The final is the question. Got it. And the other, on the other side of the draw, the semi's already set. Novak Djokovic played Yannick Sinner today, lost the first two sets, and then came back in pretty routine fashion, those third, fourth, and fifth set. Um, that's why it's so hard to beat these these top, top guys in three out of five. It's just another example. Um, Novak's yeah, no. in against Cameron Norrie, who's playing very well. Um, how do you see that? Well, first, just a comment on the center match. It was fascinating to me because he led, he started the way he's been starting almost every match. He's had Novak, this nap, yeah. early break. And the next, you know, he's three love up, four one up. Break point for five one. And I thought, wow, what a start. You know, and he, he couldn't convert on the break point. It was a great serve from center, but then at 4-2, uh, Djokovic served, excuse me, sorry, sorry about that. He served two double faults and made two drop shot errors as, as well. Kind of a giveaway game. And then it, it completely changed. Totally, the complexion of the match totally changed through the end of the second set with Sinner hitting out so freely and Novak looking kind of uncertain. He didn't have his defense going and then he started to press. And I also thought he didn't use the slice back in the way he needed to. But after he went into the locker room and had a conversation with himself, looking at the mirror, <laughs> yeah, I, he, he was a different player. And there's no doubt that Sinner physically faded a bit. But I thought it was more Novak elevating his game. He started finding the corners with his serve. I thought his deuce court serving was brilliant because he kept he would use the slice serve short and wide 
to the forehand, but then most of the time be going down the tee. And Sinner just could not figure out where he was going. And so Novak started to get so many free points on his serve. And then he, the returns, he started finding the range of the returns and the second serve returns, which he was missing constantly in the second set. They were, every one of them was a foot from the baseline and he's pressuring. It was a very good last three sets because he only oh, broke six. And he, I, I see that when, when he locks in like that, Steve, he does not miss. He just simply no. doesn't miss. And he makes his opponent press and press and press until they're, they're not comfortable and they're not consistent enough and they wind up missing. Novak just has that ability to lock in and make their opponent do something they're not comfortable with because Novak is not going to miss. No, absolutely correct. But he does it very aggressively. He's not pushing the ball back and saying, you know, I'm not going to make an error. When he's got an opening, he goes for it too, but you're right. And he was in this lockdown mode pretty much for the entire last three sets. And what, what a shift breaks serve once in the first two sets against center. Then in the last three, three, he broke them, I guess, five or six more times from there. You know, I mean, it, it, a couple of two, six, two sets and a six, three set. So it was actually five in the last three. And that's a big, and plus his holds were so many of those holds were at love and 15. So that he was putting an awful lot of pressure on Sinner. And finally, in the end, Novak pulled away inexorably. So it was, I think it was a confidence building match because he could so well have been out of this. And not only did he turn it, but he turned it around comprehensively. So and I, I got to give a friend, I got to give credit to a friend of mine after the second set, Steve, a friend texted me and said, how many games, uh, how many games is Novak going to lose in sets three, four, and five? And he said something like 8.5. And Sinner didn't even win, didn't even get that number. So it's like, it's crazy. You're down two sets to love and you think, oh, this may be the day. And it's just, it's like routine. It's like routine. Well, it must have been so dismayed, Sinner, because he, he looked so commanding after he went down that break in the first set through the end of the second. And now here he was struggling to hold every time he served. So it, it was it was pretty impressive. And I think Djokovic, uh, you know, I, I think that'll give him a big lift. And I think now that he now playing Nori, they had a match at the end of last year indoors that he won very easily. It's not that I put that much stock in that, but I look at the matchup. And this is not somebody like Sinner, who's an explosive big hitter, who, and you could sort of see why it happened with Novak being a little off and Sinner skyrocketing the way he did those first two sets. But I don't know. Nori, Nori probes. Nori's a lefty. He probes. He's, he doesn't miss much. He's got that, that interesting kind of steered backhand. That flat Jimmy backhand. Connors like backhand. Jimmy Connors yeah. like that. Jimmy, Jimmy ripped it a little. <laughs> he went for it a little more, but you're right. It's flat that way, but not necessarily that penetrating. Same with the forehand. It's his depth and his ball control. That, but I don't see in the end that being enough of a threat to Novak. You know, now the crowd possibly the crowd could be going a bit wild to have a British semifinalist like this. So Novak's experience with that. Oh, he'll deal with it. In some ways, I think Novak will like it because he'll know that as long as he gets through that, he could experience something very similar with the, with the pro Nadal crowd in the final. And And another lefty. And another lefty. So it's good preparation in that sense. Obviously the forehand is totally different, not in the same league with Rafa's, but it, it does help to play another lefty serving patterns, all of that will be helpful, but I think it's a it's a really comfortable matchup for Djokovic. I actually expect to see him win that, and I would expect him to win that one in straight. In straight, I think he'll be locked in. Yeah, Rafa's got Rafa's got some harder work. Obviously, he's still around behind 
Novak, but he's got Taylor, who's we just discussed playing great for him. And then if Kyrgios gets through his match with Garen, I mean, you never know what you're going to get with Nick and you know how talented Nick is. So Rafa's got a lot of work to do to get to the final, but let's hope we see that Djokovic Rafa final, maybe Djokovic Kyrgios final. Um, I think the tennis world will be so locked in if we get either of those finals. You're right. No, they'd be happy to see either. It would be exciting to see Nick finally in a major final if it did happen. But I'm saying I just believe that the all things being equal, looking at looking at it in turn and really analytically, I still say unless Nadal, you know, the foot, you suddenly see him limping or there's some clear injury or, or the abdominal thing acts up. But if he looks comfortable physically and you see the spirit and the speed then I still feel he'll get through that Nick match. And I definitely feel he'll get through Taylor eventually, probably four though. And, and so I, I, I like our chances for that, that dream final between the two all-time greats. So I'm still pretty optimistic about it. Well, uh, you know, before I leave it to, to you for any uh, parting thoughts while you're there, enjoy, enjoy the rest of the week. It must be so great. Um, it's been a few years since you've been, been back, obviously COVID, but, uh, uh, hiccup on a lot of a lot of different things here but um anything you'd like to share just your thoughts on being back there any um anything you specific that maybe the public doesn't see how much you enjoy i mean wimbledon this is this is where you started your love for the sport of tennis steve you went there I as did. a little boy right i mean this is yeah. this is where it started for you yeah my father took me out here way back in 1965 essentially as a cultural experience. I mean, he loved tennis and he was a good club doubles player. So part of any, and so he really wanted to see Wimbledon and he enjoyed watching it as well. I don't think he had any notion that I would embrace it that fully. So from that point on, I was following it in the newspapers and eventually it led me into the profession. So I would only add that coming back every year, it just reaffirms for me that there's, there's, you're never going to change one thing, no matter how hard the U.S. Open or French Open try. And the Australian Open has certainly added to their prestige. Nothing is going to top Wimbledon. And that includes a subject we've raised before about the, the, the ATP and WTA taking away the points. You don't, you, you don't even hear the players talking about it. And I don't think you're going to hear, if Nori loses to Djokovic, for instance, I don't think you're going to hear him complaining. He I should have gotten semifinal points. He'll be talking about the achievement of being in the semifinals of Wimbledon. If Kyrgios pulls off a big surprise, gets to the final, wins it, same thing. You're not going to hear him say, well, they deprived us of points and they've they've diminished this tournament. I don't think that's I think it just proves the value of Wimbledon. And so it's it's really been a pleasure to be back uh, here after after missing 2020, no tournament and not going over last year because of the restrictions. So hadn't been here for three years and it's been a, a delight to be back. So, so great. Enjoy the rest of the tournament, Steve, and safe travels coming back. And the next time we speak, the tournament will be over. You'll be back in, in the States and we'll, uh, we'll be talking about the, the, uh, the winners of 2022 Wimbledon. Looking forward to it, David. We'll talk soon.